Talk here on Sportsnet 650 on a Canucks game day. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host, as always, Canucks insider Thomas Strantz, also covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are live at Rogers Arena and always live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, game day, first home game in a while, Drancer. Tampa Bay Lightning rematch from last week. And that's what everyone's talking about, the and big Canucks game tonight. The first game since Jim Rutherford's memorable, let's put it that way, memorable press conference uh, on Monday. First chance for you also, I know, to talk to, to have some availabilities with uh, with Bruce Boudreaux and the players today after their game day skate as well. Yeah, and we'll get into some of the interesting commentary, but, you know, one thing I think that does matter about the game tonight is it's going to be the first gathering of Canucks fans in this building since yep. Gino Ojic passed away. I saw some members of Gino's family uh, shared a photo of a Christmas present that he received, and it's a flying skate jersey, uh, or sorry, a flying skate hoodie with the number 29 Gino Ojic uh, written on it, or e Ojic written on it. Um, they encouraged fans to wear the flying skate if they've got it and wear it with pride in Gino's honor. Wanted to make sure we pass that along on the airwaves. Very good. Because I do think it's going to be uh, an emotional night in a lot of ways. Uh, with Canucks fans having an opportunity to collectively say goodbye in some ways to one of the favorites, the 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 legends to wear this team's sweater. Yeah, and you know that's an interesting note about the uh, the black skate as well. I mean, there's some indications that the Canucks could be debuting uh, a new black skate jersey tonight. We'll see. There was some of that gear at game day skate. So between the emotion of that, uh, and then also you know the. Different type of emotion, but still emotion generated, I think, not just among fans, but also likely from the coach, among players, the emotion generated by what Jim Rutherford had to say, you know, as much as obviously the focus is not primarily on the ice for the Canucks at this point this season, right? It is very much on the long-term direction of the team and ooh, are they going to make a coaching change? Who's going to be dealt? All of that sort of things. Like, I'll admit, I am very curious to see how the players respond how they perform tonight like if there was ever a night to really get the emotions going and you know hey let's go out and win one for the coach Bo Horvat said and we'll hear from him let's win one for Gino tonight I, I admit I am uh, I'm very very curious about exactly what that response looks like like do they give the crowd a chance to get a Bruce there it is chant up <laughs> in Bruce Boudreaux's honor after everything he's been through uh recently I don't know I uh, I, I admit as much as lottery Odds are very, very important for the Canucks at this stage. Yeah, I'd like to see them come out and put in a really impressive effort against a very good team here tonight. Sure. Uh, look, I'd like <laughs> I'd like to see Gino be honored with, yeah. with an appropriate effort, for sure. No question about it. But, you know, this team is so stuck, and there's no way out of it that involves, you know, winning a bunch of games – Unless you really go off a, on a tear yeah. and win like 30 of your last 37, right? I mean, that would be something. That would be cool. That would be great. But, you know, given that I don't think it's possible, um, you know, I think this, this club just finds itself in this really tough spot. You, you sort of look at, for example, their last 22, right? Just This dates back to November, November 28th. So the Canucks have played 22 games since mm -hmm. November 20. Oh, sorry, 
that's 21 games. So you have to go one day before. 27. 22 games. And they've won three in regulation. That's tough. In that 22-game stretch. And so, you know, and yet, and yet, if you go and look at the points that they've accumulated, they've accumulated 20 because they're winning a ton of games. They've won 10 of 22, seven of them coming in overtime or in the shootout. And so over this stretch of 22 games, more than a quarter of the season, in which this team has only managed to win thrice <laughs> in <laughs> this whole this whole talking point was just an excuse to say thrice, Probably, wasn't it? <laughs> maybe. They've only won three times. Yes. And they've been outscored at five on five alone by twelve. <laughs> um I, I actually just I want to see the full number, so give me one sec. <laughs> um they've uh they've been outscored by more than that yes. overall. Uh Nineteen, nineteen in twenty-two games. Yikes! They've gained four points on the Arizona Coyotes, four points on the Anaheim Ducks, seven on the Columbus Blue Jackets, and eight on the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. I mean, I, that sort of leads us to this point. We're going into tonight's game against a model franchise, the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Canucks are the only NHL team that's both 10 points out of a playoff spot and 10 points from 32nd pole position for Connor Bedard. And that's where you cue the Bob Dylan, right? That's where you cue the clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to see a good night out for Vancouver Canucks fans. I'd love to see a big emotional response from an embattled team. You know, both for Gino, for Bruce, yep. for 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 the players a- themselves, they were called out by Rutherford. They yeah, they were. They weren't free of uh, absolutely of not. No, no way. So, I'd love to see all that, and yet, it's such a complicated spot that this team is in, where every point accumulated is actually problematic, is actually harmful, and so. That's kind of where we're at, you know. Even the even the fun things become twisted, right? That's 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 the problem. Now, I want to I want to play some audio yeah. from the room because I thought it was a fascinating day as Bo Horvat, Luke Shen, Bruce Boudreaux. I, I wondered if they'd maybe go off a little bit yesterday, but I don't know that a lot of people attended practice, so I don't think they were really asked to address directly the the Rutherford thing. Two things I want to caption here: all of the players who were like the go-tos to speak with, and the coach who was the go-to to speak, he has to speak. He has to speak, yep. Are likely to be gone from this organization in six weeks. Don't underestimate that vacuum that's about to be created and the microscope that's going to shine on other players who maybe aren't as comfortable doing what Horvat did today hanging in there, saying the right thing, speaking for the organization. You know, the, the microscope's about to be shone on some of the other faces of this franchise who maybe aren't quite as comfortable with that. And It's something that I couldn't help but escaping in the big picture as I listened to the commentary from all three gentlemen. Where today. do we want to start? Bo. Bo? All right, here it is. The Canucks captain speaking to the media after their uh, morning skate today at Rogers Arena. Uh, I've been here for a lot of years, and you know it's um, you know the, the media gets out there no matter what. I mean, and uh, obviously we all hear it in here. Um, you know we're not we're not blind to it, obviously, but it's just how you uh, just tune it out. I mean, there's nothing that we can do to 
do or change what's going on out there. It's it's purely what's going on in here. Um, that's all we're worried about. Worried about the guys in here. Um, you know, working together, playing as a team, and focusing on winning hockey games. And um, you know, we can't control what's going on outside. Have you gotten better at tuning it out over the years? Oh yeah, <laughs> big time. Um, you know, deleting. You know, Twitter and stuff like that it was probably the best thing I've ever done. Um, just blocking out the noise and just focusing on my, myself, my game, and, and uh, you know, and not letting anybody try to get to me or anything like that. So, um, and that's the same with the team too. I mean, you know, focusing on again the guys in this room, uh, nothing else, and exactly what I said. Just trying to win hockey games here. Has the organization, has the organization treated Bruce fairly? Ah, uh, I mean. You know, I, I think we all we all love Bruce as you know as a person, and um, you know, he comes in here every single day uh, with a smile on his face, positive, and he continues to keep coaching to win and uh, and coaching to um, you know make everybody in this room better. And you know, um, we, we all love him as a as a person, and you know he's been uh, he's been good for us here, and he's been a great coach in this league for many years. So. Um, you know, we're going to continue to keep playing for him. What's he done for you specifically, Boaz Captain? You have to have kind of a bit of a unique relationship with the head coach. What's he done for you specifically? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's given me obviously lots of confidence. I think, you know, he's he's shown a lot of uh, trust in me and and with my game and put me out in, in any key situation. Um, you know, his positivity uh, coming into the rink every every single day and and uh you know trying to get better himself and, and learning it's it's rubbed off on me too you know it put you know, when he's smiling we're all smiling so um you know, i've learned a lot from him for sure what does garley bring to the first power play minute i mean he's very creative so he'll take a hit yeah no he's he rank your unit i mean yeah i mean he's not he's not afraid to stand in front i mean he's yeah uh, you know these pucks are coming in hard and he's not uh not afraid to stand in there and obviously he's he wins battles down low too he, he's quick to pucks and he retrieves pucks for us and obviously can make plays. So um, he'll add that element to us. And um, He was good last game. Keep it going. He takes great pride in being a rat. Do you think you can even draw and get a five on three advantage? Yeah, nice. yeah, we haven't had one of those in a bit. So um, maybe he can stir things up in front and, and uh, take another punch to the head. Well, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but your name has been out there for so long now. To see what Bruce has been put through, a guy who's won over 600 games. Are you disappointed? Are you upset with the organization for the way this is Uh I mean, you know, uh, for me to to say anything, you know, on Bruce's behalf is, you know, it's tough because it is a tough situation because, you know, I've been in kind of the spotlight, like you said, and, and uh, my name's been thrown out there and stuff like that. So it is, it's tough to say. Um, you know, it can't be easy, you know, coming in the rink every single day and, and and not knowing your, your fate or, or what's going on or um, having that negative stuff being said about you. Obviously, it's it's got to be tough, but um, he just keeps powering through it, and that's what I admire about him. When a coach winds up in that situation where it just seems like it's a case of when, not if, many would suggest he's lost the room. Has Bruce lost the room? No, I mean, we're all still trying to play hard for him. We're not we're not trying to lose or, or um, you know, giving up on him, that's for sure. Um, you know, he's too good of a person um, to do that, and he, he comes in here every single day working and, and wanting to make this team better and, and uh, continues to, to keep pushing for wins, and that's all we can ask from a coach, and that's what we're going to continue to keep doing is, is playing for him and playing for each other in here. Well, you said you've gotten better at tuning it out, but has it been a little bit harder despite your improvement? <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, obviously, you hear the noise and you hear everything going on outside. Um, you know, it's not just on online, but you see it on TV. You know, it's 
it's tough to ignore, but at the same time for me, it's just, you know, trying to get better every single day and, and um, you know, so that's getting points and scoring goals and, you know, doing little things to, to help our team win. That's what I'm going to keep doing. Your organization has been a bit of a black mark over all of this. I mean, you said you watched on TV. Uh, the national conversation isn't good. Um, as a guy that's the captain of this organization, how tough is it to wear that and digest it and hear that about your team? Yeah, it's not easy. Um, you know, I take a lot of pride in being a captain and, and leading by example. And, you know, when you hear negative stuff in the media, it's, it's, it's tough. But, you know, for me, it's, it's trying to put a smile on my face every single day and, and come to work and, and uh, you know, do whatever I can to make everybody else's day a lot easier. Um, you know, when, when that kind of stuff's going on outside, that's what I'm going to continue to do. And, um, you know, that's, uh, I think what a good leader would do is, is kind of, again, tune it out and, and be positive and, and try to still get wins here. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've touched on it a couple, you know, the last couple of days, but, you know, what he's meant to this organization, not only on the ice, but off the ice, uh, in the community, uh, you know, in the Indigenous communities. Um, it's a tough loss for not only his family, but the organization, and um, he'll be greatly missed around the community, around the rink, and, and uh, obviously to his family. So um, we have to get play hard and, and win this one for Gino tonight. That is Canucks captain Bo Horvat earlier today. You heard him at the end talking about uh, Gino Ojek's legacy and wanting to win tonight for Gino, but also answering a lot of tough questions, direct questions about the noise around the team specifically also. And the one that stood out to me was, you know, has Bruce Boudreau lost the room? And Horvat talked about the guys still, you know, they see Boudreau coming to work in very tough circumstances, still working hard, still trying to help them, still trying to motivate them. They see that. They know what a good person is. They're still trying to do their best for him as well. And Rager Texan, man, what a masterclass from Bo Horvat that that performance is. He's very good at it. He's very, very good at that aspect of being a captain in Vancouver. Everything. Like, it's pitch perfect, right? He, He nails it. Um, the only thing I wanted to sort of make a joke about, and this isn't a shot at Bo, but, you know, tuning out the noise from outside, right? It's like, Bo, the call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> In the horror movie that is this Canucks season, right? It's like, oh my God, the noise is coming from inside the house. That was one of my ba- major takeaways from Bo's availability today. That's very good. Um <laughs> Yes, it is. It's not just outside. There is outside noise, but there's some inside noise, too. But he stick-handled that just about as well as anyone possibly could. And, you know, no surprise, that's Bo Horvath. That's what he does. And it's something this club's going to miss. It's something this club, I don't think, is is prepared at the moment, based on the personnel uh, around, to replace. Uh, Certainly not with any level of ease. So, you know... I mean, I, I don't know. That was that was a pretty impressive performance from Horvat. Um, and again, you know, it reminds me a little bit of remember Green getting trotted out to address every single controversy yeah. when he didn't have an extension. Um, it felt a little bit like that. Like, wh- why is it Bo at this point? I know he wears the I C. He's the captain. He's the captain. He's I know do he wears it the C. Gone. But at some point, at some point, someone else got to take some bullets. I mean, they'll have their chances. Yeah, They'll have their chances. No kidding. Starting sometime in the next six weeks. No kidding. All but right. he's gonna do it. He's gonna do it until he's until he's not here anymore. I get that. Like I hear what you're saying too. That you'd like to see maybe develop somebody else into that role at the same time if oh. you know you're losing Bo. But I mean, he's still the captain. He's still the captain. Like of the he team. was asked for today, but he wasn't the only guy asked for. Like, sure. Come on. At some point. At some point. 
recognize what, what this club is losing, recognize the job. Uh, maybe this is like too PR guy a thing. But at some point, someone else has to has to be in that role. Right. I just I just don't think you're going to act at that level, right? That boat like Bo Horvat is gone until he's actually gone. You know what I mean? Like I think you're going to continue using Bo Horvat while you have him here as as a resource. Sure. Um, speaking of another pending UFA, you want to do Shen next? Or you want to go right to Bruce? Well, so Shen, I want to caption it before because okay. Shen I thought was a little bit interesting because toward the end, you know. Shen's got some personal complications around being dealt uh, because of, you know, family stuff. Right. And yet, and, and Summers in Kelowna loves it here, would love to stay. And yet, toward the end of this, Luke Shen, sell job. Listen to that. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of a, there's a echo of a pitch here from Luke Shen about the value that he can bring to a playoff team, and I found that fascinating. All right, let's hear from uh, Luke Shen up next. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, guys in the room, we want to continue to play hard for Bruce, and since he's come in here, I think a lot of us have grown and, and had personal relationships with him, and obviously, you don't coach this long in the league, um, you know, without obviously being a, a good coach and, and having respect from your players, so I mean... Um, yeah, all I can say is that uh, guys in this room uh, want to continue to play hard for him, and the decisions beyond that are, are out of all of our control. As a player, you show up to every day to, to try to work and compete and play hard, and uh, you know, obviously uh, you know, guys are still showing up every day, and it's on us as players that we're not having success, in, in all honesty. I mean, it's easy to point fingers, but uh, you know, it's guys in this room that need to do a better job, and everyone else will look good. I've been doing this for over 25 years now. Monday's press conference to me was something I'd never seen before. I respect Jim's honesty, but at the same time, hearing, if I'm a head coach, if I'm a player like Hope, hearing what he said, I'm not sure how I feel. You're a human. Everyone in this room is human. You talk about how you feel with Bruce. Does he deserve that? With Bruce? Bruce? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. I mean, as a player, I can, I can, I can say is... Um, you know, you've played for different sort of uh, GMs in the past or different sort of coaches. And the one thing I, I appreciate as a player is uh, not the gray area. I like the black and white and the truth. And, and as a player, I, I mean, you respect that. Obviously, he's, he's calling it as he sees it, which uh, to me as a player, it's we all understand it's not good enough and changes are going to be made. And um, it's anyone's guess is, is who's going to be here in the future. And uh, as a player, you want to continue to, to show up every day and bring value to your team. And, um you know, I think a lot of us, you know, want to continue to help this team and, and do well and be, be a part of the solution. But like you said, uh, I guess you appreciate the honesty at the end of the day. Your name's been mentioned a lot again, and it seems like you're a player that's sought after. What does it mean to want to be wanted at this time of year? Yeah, I mean, that's at the end of the day. It's like you said, uh, how, how can you bring value as a player? And, um, you know, you want to be wanted. and. You know, I'd prefer it to be in Vancouver, and at the end of the day, you know, I said I don't. It's not like I'm holding the cards here and have any sort of, uh, you know, trade protection in my contract or like that. It's it's a business, and uh, the upper management's going to make decisions, and whether or not they're getting calls, who knows? Like you said, it's at, at the end of the day, you want to be wanted, and um, the one thing I can say is, uh, from an, from uh, playing in the playoffs before, it's 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 a big boys game for sure, and and uh, I, I think I think you win with, uh, you know. Veteran players and, and decors, uh, big heavy decors that you know make it hard to play in front of the net and in the corners, and that's uh, from what I learned playing, um, you know, on, on the Stanley Cup team is how, how hard it is day in day out in a, in a game seven in a seven game series. So I mean, 
like I said, uh, who knows what the way things are going to shake out. Obviously, I, I really have no control of it and show up to, to work here every day and try to help the Canucks and would like to con- continue doing that for the future. That is Canucks defenseman Luke Shen. And, yeah, summing up the reasons why you would expect him to be an in-demand commodity approaching the trade deadline, as he mentioned. You know, he has Stanley Cup experience with the team who is in town tonight. We've heard that Tampa might be interested in a reunion with Luke Shen. And, uh, yeah, Shen saying, I know how to play big boy hockey and get it done in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I love it. Demonstrated record in big boy hockey. That's on, the bullet that, point on the resume. That's the, that's the cover page. <laughs> <laughs> that is very, very good. But, you know, he, as you said, he also said he loves it here. He'd prefer to stay here, but you want to be wanted. And that's absolutely true, by the way. You know, I, it's, it's an interesting dynamic on a lot of fronts because, you know, I, I still do think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, players, even, even among the players, you know, Kuzmenko, Shen, Horvat. Let's summarize it that way. Sure. The big pending UFAs. Yeah, who I think would love nothing more than for the Canucks to come back and at least give it one more kick at the can. Uh, You know, and and I think that's even true with Bo, despite everything that's gone on. And, you know, like, one thing that I thought was interesting was the question to Bo. I should have captioned this after Bo, but the question about, like, is this fair? And, you know, he didn't say yes, but he didn't say no. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is a guy who's picking his words carefully. You can imagine, like... You can imagine – so imagine being a long-tenured employee, a model employee, right, in the middle of a career year, and they picked your one teammate first, and now they're hot and heavy in extension talks with Kuzmenko's camp and not with you. It's got to be tough. I mean, I don't care who you are. That's got to be really, really difficult. And, you know, that sort of just adds context to why I'm impressed with – Horvat's overall stick handling. I, I guess we got to go to break before playing Bruce, right? Yeah, we'll play Bruce in the next segment. But just yeah, the point you make on um, on the all three of the UFAs that they're purely from the players' perspective that there's probably still a path to all of them staying. Right? It's not as if any of them are angling to get out of Vancouver. I mean, obviously with Horvat, there's a significant disagreement on what the price is going to be, or at least that's all indications given by Rutherford and others. I, I still. You know, I, I know Friedman kind of said at some point this week that he was expecting the Canucks to take one last shot at signing Horvat, but Rutherford kind of ended that. I don't know that he did. I, I would still expect one last round of negotiations, and I'm, he, I'm less optimistic or whatever, less uh, certain that it will result in a deal now, but I still don't think it's off the table. I don't think the door's been shut. Even if it's just a matter of doing it for the sake of, like, Gillis goes to Sweden. Right, so Gillis right. goes to Sweden. Why, in part, to create um, or or maintain anyway this perception that the Canucks had done everything possible to extend Daniel and Henrik. Right, I, I, you know, obviously it's more than that. They also um, also wanted to extend them. <laughs> also wanted to extend them, but you know, a fundamental part of it was the idea that you know you have to be able to look fans in the face and say, "Hey, we did everything we possibly could." to accomplish this, right? Uh, period. I mean, that was a big part of that trip. I, I wonder if the Canucks, even just for the sake of being able to be like, we made him three offers, mm. you know, one in the summer, one in December, and and another one before the deadline, yeah. before he was dealt. I wonder if that matters to the organization just from a messaging and fan confidence perspective, given what Horvat has, you know, meant in this market. Yeah, we made him three 
improved offers, right? Three offers, and we improved them. We came up. We tried to meet it. We, it just didn't work out. Yeah, I can see that. And Logan texted, guys, that was a classic example of the president negotiating through the media. That's certainly a possibility, right? Everything is tactical. Everything is done with, through the eyes of how it's going to affect your situation. And as I said. I don't I, think so. I, like, I don't think that was the commentary from a executive who thinks he can get the deal done. I don't. I just don't think that was a pressure on Horvat or by saying this, I improved the chances of getting the deal done type conversation that, or type commentary from Rutherford. I think that was more a preparing the market for the big decisions ahead, the unpopular decisions. Yeah. I think that was more consistent with the theme overall of Rutherford's commentary. I, uh, As I said, I don't think this uh, the story is quite done here. I'm not saying, don't worry, Bo Horvat's still going to sign because I would still bet on him being traded, but I think we're going to see uh, some more twists and turns before we get to the eventual end point here. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, I want to talk about some of the uh, reporting on Andre Kuzmenko, on Bo Horvat, potential destinations as well. Harmon Dial is going to join us a little later in the show, too. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands, live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Sportsnet 650 presents the Clayton Public House Big Football Party. SN 650 has teamed up with the Clayton Public House in Surrey to bring you the Big Football Party. On Super Sunday, February 12th, hosted by our own Randeep Janda. Reserve your table now at theclaytonpub.com. We'll have a tailgate and drink specials plus prizing throughout the day. Kickoff, of course, at 3.30 in the afternoon. The Clayton Public House, good food, good people, good times. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in, 650-650. Uh, one of my favorite texts that we've uh, that we've ever received, just for the simplicity of it, comes from... Uh, Jerry in Victoria, who just says, I would like to see Pedersen play with Bedard. Strongly agree, Jerry. <laughs> Strongly agree. Yeah. That would be really good. That, that sounds, would be awesome. That sounds like a ton of fun. That sounds really fun. And then he also follows it up with, uh, what percentage of games do we need to lose to have a chance at Bedard? Well, the good news, Jerry, is they have a chance right now. If the season ended today, thanks to Montreal 12%? beating the Jets. No, not 12. 14? Seven and a half. Oh, sorry, wow. 12, 12 of picking in the top ten, five. Yeah, see, picking uh, in the top two, right? See, for me, when I talk about the Canucks needing to lose, Bedard to me is the... I know, he's like the incentive. I would, right? I would, I would even look at it differently. I think about it as like, you know those fishes that hunt in the bottom of the ocean and have the dangly light <laughs> yeah. that confuses yeah, yeah, their yeah, prey? Yeah. Connor yeah. Bedard is what should confuse Canucks fans, Canucks ownership, and, uh, and but the real target... The real target is hidden, and it's just a top-five top pick. It's, top it's, it's not Bedard. Obviously great if you get him. Fantastic if you get him. Franchise-altering if you get him. But Fantilli Carlson, <laughs> first shot at Mitch Benson, Goff. Mitch yeah. Goff, those are those are the prizes. I actually think the Mitch Goff prize is the one that like lingers largest in my mind because I, I, I think there's sneaky value in the fact that his contract situation is so fraught. I think he's the guy you can get if, you know, he might he might go six. He might go five. Well, right now, so just to get everyone updated, because Montreal beat Winnipeg in, re in regulation, 
uh, last night. So they jumped up above the Canucks in the standings. So the Canucks currently six last in the NHL. So outside of the bottom five, but right outside of the bottom five. Now, that's the, the good news, I guess, if you're interested in Connor Bedard. That gives them a 7.5% chance. I see that I I look at it and I think they have a really really hard time of breaking into the bottom five. Like you mentioned, how many points they've gained on <laughs> like Arizona, Chicago, these Anaheim, teams are Columbus. not winning games. The the one would be San Jose, but like I just no, I don't, I don't see, see it, it, it happening. I don't see it happening. So six is kind of I, like San Jose might get a lot. Like San Jose might trade Timo Meyer. Yeah, yeah. I mean San Jose could get worse in a hurry if they want to. So if you're doing and they kind do of want like. To. Glass half full, glass half empty. Like on the the good thing is right now they have a seven seven and a half percent chance. The bad thing is I see a very difficult road, an unlikely <laughs> the, road to improving those. The stakes are so much higher for the Canucks going down in the standings than they are going up. It's really quite well. And you know what? I talked about how you'd love to see the Canucks come out with this effort. I, you'd love to see the Canucks win this game, and yet you know that it would be bad for them, right? Just like I'd like to eat a bag of Doritos, but I I know that yeah. I'm already not good looking, and so. <sighs> I think the you you bump into mangled incentives, and we've talked about this at length. But you know, I, I almost think of it as like your positioning, right? Like the Canucks have like a terrible pawn wall that's been built, and so their their back end, their their character pieces are just getting ravaged by their opponent, and and this sort of crops up too into the Kuzmenko discussion, right? And this one is now front burner and um, feels like the move that's most imminent prior to the deadline, the, mm-hmm. the one most likely to happen. And so it, it, it really demands our focus because I, I sort of hedged my bets, I think, a little bit. Like, I was obviously explaining why I thought a Miller deal was not helpful for this team to mm-hmm. execute, why I thought uh, a proactive trade at last deadline was the right call. Um, now, when they didn't make the trade, I thought they had time still. Um, but I don't know that I went full, full – like, I don't know that I went as in as I should have not, not that it would have influenced anything, just that I really should have planted my flag like this would be catastrophic. The timing of it makes no sense. The team needs to, to do, you know, the team needs to recoup value somewhere, and I don't think they're going to be able to move their bad contracts, so this is the way. I don't know that I hit it as hard as I should. So I, I, I'm, I'm committed to not making the same mistake again, and the Kuzmenko extension is one that I think fans are naturally going to struggle with for, for the following very natural, very obvious uh, very apparent reasons. Kuzmenko is fantastic. Really good. <laughs> really good. Awesome. Chemistry with Pedersen doesn't look like a look like a passenger on that line. Um, is outscoring the likes of Garland and Besser. His Q rating among Canucks fans is much higher than Garland and Besser. And you know what? It is around the league too, right? Ideally, you wouldn't be set up in a world where you'd have to lose your best players. Or, or where every time you sign a really good player to a contract, it's like, no, that's, yeah. that's the franchise. Like, I don't like this. That's tough. It's a really tough spot to be in. I would love to live in a world where the Canucks make a move, and it's like, does that help them achieve their goal of winning a Stanley Cup? But that's not what this team is. That's not who they are. You have to be realistic about your circumstances. And here's the underlying facts, the case against signing Andre Kuzmenko, that I'm going to probably make day after day because I love developing themes until until it's done and I start, you know, not carving it but certainly being critical of the decision making process. Here's the, here's the main here's the main facts you need to know. Oh man, where do I even start? This team 
is well, overweight on the wings. Well, that's it. It all comes down to the positionality. They're, it, they're right? overweight on the wings right now in terms of their skill level. And and what does that look like? Well, it looks like a team that can't control play but can finish at an above-average clip. It looks like a team that's top 10 in the NHL in scoring and bottom six in terms of their results, right? I mean, I had a conversation with a friend the other day, and they were like, you can't deny that the Canucks can score. Like, it takes skill to score. There's a bunch of teams that can't score like the Canucks. And I said, who cares? It's not a game. It's not first to five. If it was first to five, I'd say, hey, this team's got a shot. But the skill that you need isn't the skill to score. It's the skill to outscore. And that's what this team can't do, right? You look at the wings and you look at the money committed just by this management group. And this is the, this is the crucial part because it separates, it separates what the mess that was inherited from what's been done to this point, right? I see JT Miller as a, as a winger, but if you want to quibble, you can. $8 million committed. Besser, 6.66. Mikheyev, 4.75. Okay? That's, that's all, just this management group. It's $20 million in, in winger talent. Kuzmenko would bring the number to 20, $27 million if he comes in at 6-plus, which he's going to if you do the deal. Right? He's 27. His dimension is a very good dimension, an important one, a crucial one. But he's not a defensive winger, right? He's not probably a two-way play driver on his own. On a championship team, is he a first-line winger? Is he a matchup winger on a championship team? Or is he a really nice supporting middle six piece? No, he's a nice supporting middle well, six piece. Well, then you really have to be careful about committing. You have to be an incredible one-way winger to be worth $6 million in the contemporary NHL. Four, four and a half? Four and a half? Something like that? That's a different discussion. Additionally, does it make sense for this club if their stated goal is to turn this around quickly, make the playoffs or at least compete for them next year, and then certainly be a contending team the year after? Does it make sense for this team to spend money on another scoring winger? Or does it make sense for them to retain Bo Horvat? Like, is there a world where Kuzmenko's a better player than Bo Horvat? I, I, don't, I don't think we live in it. No, you'd have to make the argument about... The efficiency of the contract, but I think the fact, right, that that he's going to make less than Bo Horvat, that would be the argument. But yeah. I think the fact that Bo Horvat is a center makes that a really difficult argument. Neither contract's going to be efficient, and the fact that Horvat plays a premium position that's harder to replace, you know, I mean, you can find offense-only wingers like the, you can find a Max Domi or an Andreas Athanasiu who are not as good as Kuzmenko, to be clear. But you can find those guys for one year in free agency and, and not a ton of money. You know, like, you can replace scoring winger who who isn't defensively reliable. Like, that player's available for $1 million. Where do you find face-off ace, 30-goal-scoring, 60-point guy? Where do you find that player? You can't. You can't. You spend years looking for that player. So, so that part of it do- doesn't make sense to me. Then you get to the moves that will have to be made to accommodate a Kuzmenko deal, should you do it. And, you know... There's been a lot of chatter about buyouts, a lot of chatter about a retained salary transaction with Brock Besser, um, maybe maybe a Garland buyout, stuff like that mm-hmm. is, is out there in the ether, out there in the industry. People are wondering if the Canucks might consider those routes. If, if that's part of accommodating a Kuzmenko deal, as opposed to accepting that you're not close, trading Kuzmenko for value... And then doing what you can to re- rehabilitate the value of Garland and Besser, or at least keeping them around as guys, while, while you're not thirstily competing 
for a playoff spot you're probably not going to make going to get anyway next season like how is that not the better option for what this club wants to achieve and, and not just on a short build like not not just in the long term like this team should rebuild perspective but also if you want to turn this around and like reload in two years that's still the path you don't want to complicate your pack cap picture into the 2027 2028 seasons when Oliver Ekman Larson's going to be expiring and you might actually have flexibility to improve this team and make hey and then lastly it's not just that the Canucks are overweight on the wings in terms of their team construction at the NHL level their prospect system like all of this team's most notable prospects are wingers Hoaglander, Pod Colson, Klimovich, Aiden McDonough, Lakaramaki. Lakaramaki. Like, at some point, don't you, if you want to win now, win later, whatever you want to do, at some point, don't you need to take the one winger you've got with real trade value, cash that in, and then use the future, whether it's a whether whether you whether it's a draft pick or a player, but use that future, cash in that chit. And sort of begin to rebuild the parts of this team that are going to need rebuilding. Which, by the way, is going to be center depth if they lose Bo Horvat. And is going to be on the blue line and has been for the last five years. Like, none of this makes sense. None of this makes sense to me. I can't square any rational argument for keeping Kuzmenko other than the overly simplistic, he's really good and he has chemistry with Pedersen and you got to keep him to keep Pedersen. All of which I reject outright. Because... No one stays with an organization or no one finds an organization more appealing because they like their, their line mate. They stay with an organization because they believe that they have a chance to win. Like, that's the fundamental thing. I don't see how extending Kuzmenko on a third contract at market value helps this team solve its existential issue, which is along the blue line. And if Horvat leaves, probably down the middle, too. So I just don't, I, like, I literally don't see the argument for this. It's another one of those things where clarity sort of kicks in. And, and you know, I don't, I'd love, again, to be like, oh, man, it's, a, it's an expensive deal for a guy with a short track record. But considering what he's brought to this team and where they're at and the chance that he, you know, the marginal value he adds in terms of their chances of winning a cup or winning two playoff rounds, I'd love to discuss this team in that circumstance, like, in that context. This team's not there, and they're not even close. And if you're trying to have those conversations, you've got your head in the sand. It's a really tough position to be in, and it's um, it's very similar to the Bo Horvat one, right, where the, it has nothing to do with how good the player is and everything to do with where the team finds themselves. And it's even – it's exacerbated, as you said, by the fact that Kuzmenko is the winger. I just wanted to throw some extra context as well. I know we've, we've heard the um, – uh, reporting from Pierre Lebrun at The Athletic, saying it's probably looking at a, a number starting with a six for Andre Kuzmenko. Frank Saravelli at the Daily Faceoff threw out a couple of comps. He, he labeled this one the floor, basically the, the low point of what you could expect Andre Kuzmenko to get. Saravelli uh, identified it as the Andre, Andre Burakovsky deal signed in the summer by Seattle, which was five years at $5.5 million. That's a total of $27 million. He also pointed to uh, the old Josh Bailey deal with the Islanders, which was six years at five, so a little bit more uh, total money, $30 million, a slightly lower AAV, and then, of course, there's also the potential for you know two years at six and a half, something like that, three years at six and a half, where it's shorter term, but higher AAV. But I think that's a pretty good ballpark, right? That like five and a half to six and a half 
range, depending on, on the years, are what you're likely looking at for Andre Kuzmenko. And uh, as you said, that certainly seems like a front burner one at the moment for the Canucks. Text in from Kevin. Do you think players actually care about winning? Like when I go and play beer league, if I lose every game, I don't really care. I just enjoy playing it. If they were getting paid a lot of money, would they really care if they are winning or losing? The answer is yes. Like the difference between you or I or anybody else we know who isn't an NHL player playing beer league, aside from those hardos, you know, everyone has a few (laughs) hardos on their team. Yeah. Right. Is that, we didn't make two decades worth of sacrifice to like never eat gluten, Mm -hmm. be at the rink every day at 6am, spend weeks of your summer working with skills coaches. I mean, the amount of sacrifice it takes to make it to the NHL effectively weeds out everybody who's not an elite, elite competitor, right? You don't just have to be the most talented guy to play in this league and stick in this league and make big money in this league. You also typically have to be like a massive outlier in terms of your level of competitiveness relative to the general population. So yeah, players want to win. Players want to win cups. Players want to play in big games. Players want to entertain, for sure, and they and they love the sport. You can't make it either if you don't love the game. But man, you want to yeah. win. It's the it's the like fundamentally fundamentally why do you think tampa gets the one million dollar guys the veteran guys why do you think mark giordano takes under a million to go to toronto why do the advantages that good teams have accrue over time with players taking less to stay there Mm -hmm. like and it rotates you know yes players like low taxes they do no question we all do let's be real (laughs) the first paycheck i got when i moved from florida to vancouver i was like they took how much what price am I paying to live in a civilized society? How dare they? No, I, I mean, we all do. But fundamentally, like, we've seen when those Sunbelt teams aren't good. Yeah, like, it's, not a, it's it, not a parade of free agents. When they're not good. When you're Vegas and Tampa, yeah. it's a parade of free agents. Yeah. But if you're Arizona, it's not. It's not, no. So, it, like, very much winning decides where teams, where, where, where players want to play. Now, I think the caveat is we're talking about players taking less, and if you're not a team that has is on like the cusp of winning, you can still get players to sign with you, but it's going to cost you more. Then, then they're, you're they're, doing the Jay Beagle deal. Then you're doing the Derek Anglin deal. There's a, uh, a like a counterweight, you know, the, the flip side of good teams getting players for less is it's not that you can't get players to stay or come play for you. It's just that you're going to have to pay for it. You're going to have to pay at least market rate, if not more. Well, and, and you know what else players don't like? The dark cloud. You know, that they don't want to go play for a dark cloud organization, which is why the scuttlebutt about the medical situation. Not even scuttlebutt. Hughes' commentary about the medical situation. Um, the possibility that the NHL and the NHLPA are going to get more meaningfully involved. Um, you know, all the drama that has surrounded this team, not just this year, by the way, but for years. And people say, oh, it's the media. It's like, And, you know, it's really not. Again, the call is coming from inside the house. This is an outside noise, right? But through it all, you know, this this club doesn't have a good reputation right now Um, um, among players. That's a problem, too. Yeah, but I think to to bring it back to Pedersen, to me the two key things are sell him your vision on how you're going to put a Stanley Cup team around him, a team that can legitimately compete for the Stanley Cup, and, like, money talks. Make the money. Make the money good enough that he feels like he can't pass it up, right? Because as we've talked about, yeah, there's there are ways for him to kind of 
force his way out or try to get to UFA status as quickly as possible, but they're not without risk. There, there's some significant risk if he tries to go in that direction, depending on how the Canucks play it. So I don't think it comes down to Andre Kuzmenko. I just think it comes down to those two things, like make him an offer which, which recognizes how good of a player he is and where he's put himself into the NL, NHL hierarchy and have a compelling vision to sell him, have a compelling message and a compelling plan to sell him to get on board. If you do those two things, like you're giving yourself your best shot at signing Elias Pettersson, I don't think it hinges on Andre Kuzmenko. Like there are other – Elias Pettersson's had chemistry with other players here in the past. Elias Pettersson's going to have chemistry with lots of guys because he's a fantastic hockey player. That can't be the reason that you are looking at signing another inefficient contract to your books. You've got to have more confidence in your ability to convince Elias Pettersson uh, to stay beyond that, right? Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Uh, you can continue to get your thoughts in. Uh, this one says, winning. Uh, or again, well, uh, I see what they're winning saying. Winning now winning is the, is big, the big payday. payday. The cup doesn't really matter anymore. Big payday is no, why you listen, sacrifice for 50. Obviously, well, both, here's the thing. Hold both on. matter. And here's the thing. Obviously, we're, we're also talking about a spectrum, right? We're, well, and everyone and wants and to various win. individuals. Everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to get paid. The balance of one to the other is is greater or lesser yeah. for different guys. Well, that's the, that's the facts. Of there's the a reason you don't see superstar players sign one year, yeah. one million, <laughs> yeah. just yeah. to win. But but all things being equal, if you have seven point five on the table from one team and eight from eight per year from uh, from another, but you think the other has the chance to win, for some players, not for all players, but for a lot of players, that's going to make the difference. Yeah. Like there are, you know. Um, John Tavares didn't take meetings with all the teams that wanted to sign him, some of whom would have probably paid him more than Toronto did, right? Artemi Panarin didn't take meetings from all the players. He wanted to be on Broadway. He wanted to play on Broadway. Respect. Like, respect. That's amazing. Johnny Gaudreau, for some reason, wanted to go to Columbus. Right. It, it, It wasn't all maximizing. It wasn't all about maximizing income, shaping the decisions of these players. Fit, lifestyle, all of this stuff matters. Organizational stability. Like, all of this is weighed. But fundamentally, what drives most super competitive athletes? What's the best possible deal breaker? You, you, can, you can have the trump card. Come here and we can win. Come here and we can win. If you can sell that, oh boy. Yeah. You're, you're running down. We're going to put you in a position to win. Again, 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming up. But we still want to play Bruce Boudreaux back, and I want to get into some of the reports about Bo Horvat and potential destinations as well. But up next, Harmon Dial from The Athletic will join us. We'll get his thoughts on everything going around uh, with the Vancouver Canucks. That's up next is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota All-Star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We're live at Rogers Arena, where the Canucks will host the Tampa Bay Lightning later tonight. And also, always live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.com. Net 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Harmon Dial from The Athletic will join us momentarily here. We'll get uh, 
some of Harm's thoughts about everything happening with the Canucks right now. Uh, quick updates just on the uh, on the game tonight because, yeah, there is a game. We're talking a lot about other stuff, but the Canucks are playing a game. Spencer Martin starts in net for the Canucks. No Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, Tampa plays in Edmonton tomorrow, so they're going to hold him back for McDavid and co. Brian Elliott will get the start at Rogers Arena tonight. All right, now joining us, as mentioned, covers the Canucks for the Athletic, our pal Harmon Dial. Harmon, what's going on, man? Thanks for doing this. I'm pretty good. How are you? We're great. You know, just talking about the Canucks as we do, having another uh, extremely fun week talking about the Canucks. Uh, I mean, just big picture. I know you had a good piece with some some takeaways uh, after the Jim Rutherford presser on Monday with a couple of days to digest it and think about it a little bit more now. What's kind of your number one takeaway uh, from what we heard from Jim Rutherford? Yeah, my number one takeaway is I look, I respect Jim Rutherford for actually giving um, his honesty in terms of laying out what they actually believe um, in terms of uh, the vision moving forward, because I think that clarity was needed in terms of the, the direction. And he didn't um, he didn't lean into word salad, word salad or, or meaningless platitudes. We know what exactly what this management group is thinking now. The problem is. I think that their vision for how they're going to fix this team is is wrong. I, I think it's off base. Um, the idea of being able to fix this within two or, or three seasons, um, especially the way the, the cap situation is, uh, I, I'm highly skeptical, um, especially when you have, uh, have Rutherford right off the bat was acknowledging that, hey, we weren't able to fix the cap situation um, last summer. Now you look at this summer situation, it's not as if the cap situation is a whole lot easier. In fact, they've made it more challenging on themselves with the Miller extension, with the Besser extension, with Mikheyev now on the books as well. And it's not like the Canucks have a ton of money coming, uh, uh, coming off and expiring. And you may be in a situation where you're having to replace a top six center as well. How are you going to do that? Um, it, it, it's really difficult to find talent up the middle if you don't draft it yourselves. Um, so considering all of those factors, um, and especially when you hear management sort of bringing up the idea of um, targeting reclamation project type players, players who maybe failed um, initially on their entry-level contracts, um, and that being a priority as opposed to sort of bringing draft picks in, uh, I'm not so sure that that's really going to move the needle for this team. Look, I don't mind the idea of targeting reclamation project type players Ethan Ethan Bear is a good example but when you look at the collective Bear, Stadnika um, Dermot, Stillman these guys collectively don't move the needle in a significant enough way for it to be one of the primary ways to um, acquire talent. This club, this whole roster needs building block core pieces uh, and for that to happen I think it's a much longer uh, process, process, especially when you're talking about rebuilding the blue line, um, which I think is one of the biggest concerns. Um, I just don't think this is something you can fix quickly and easily. Uh, and for that reason, I, um, you know, stepping back and, and looking at uh, that press conference, conference again, I don't have a lot of confidence that this organization is headed in the right direction. Harmon, how concerned are you about, or how concerned should the club be? How carefully should they be treading on a possible extension for Andre Kuzmenko, given how concentrated their talent prospect pool is along the wing? Absolutely. I mean, the other thing to, to sort of keep in mind is um, with 
you know, uh, there's so many more needs that come ahead of um, investing more dollars on the wing, especially, look, I, I love what Andre Kuzmenko has brought, brought to the table, but paying him off of one season when you're, when you're already, when, when you've already invested so much on the wings and you're already going to have to, like you have a limited pool of money. And when you, when you sort of think about, okay, where should the Canucks, what are their biggest positional needs to address to where you should be allocating that remaining money? Um, I think we all we all agree that the blue line needs to be overhauled, and even down the middle now, um, we don't have a lot of confidence that JT Miller can play down there. And if Miller is, if we consider him a winger, because that's where he provides his most value at, um, well then, again, that's more money tied on the wings, and you've got another massive uh, hole down the middle. How are you going to address those needs if you commit more money to the wings, especially when a player like Kuzmenko is one of the rare pieces who given um, the year, year that he's having and given how cheap his contract is um, right now, which is which makes him v- very valuable as a, as a trade chip for a lot of contenders who are up against the cap and maybe can't afford uh, players on bigger cap hits, it makes him a uniquely valuable trade asset, trade chip, which the Canucks don't have, uh, don't have enough of um, outside of uh, Horvat and, and Shen. Um, when we're talking about a retool, I think that, I think we all recognize that it means that they're not going to have this sort of fire sale where they're going to be selling off a ton of assets. So um, in my opinion, you have to take advantage of an opportunity to sell high here. Um, and, and you have to bank on your ability to be able to, to find wingers. Like I, I in, in my opinion, you look at center and defenseman, those are positions that are really hard to sort of replace, but wingers, it's not too hard to, um, to, to sort of let guys let guys go and um, try and replace uh, re- replace that value for uh, with uh, with cheaper options and, and so to me I, I just don't think it makes sense to continue investing um, in expensive wingers when you have more pressing roster needs. And, and you know the other thing that's hard to square with the Andre Kuzmenko extension talks is so okay I understand that you know this is not a long term rebuild. Uh, they're going to try to be good, competitive again in the next couple of years, and you want Kuzmenko around for that. But, I mean, that logic applies to Bo Horvat as well. And I understand Horvat's going to be more expensive, but he also plays a more premium position. He's only slightly older than Andre Kuzmenko. It just seems like it's hard to justify not meeting the price for Bo Horvat. And look, as I say that, I still think the best course of uh, action is to trade Horvat. I just don't – I'm not sure I understand how the logic lines up in, in – for how they're approaching the two situations differently. Yeah, it is really interesting. Um, the other thing to sort of keep in mind with Kuzmenko is we know that he's a good top six player. We know that he's more than just a complimentary sort of um, uh, passenger on, on a line that he can that he can drive play on his own. But we still don't really know what exactly he is in terms of is he going to be a consistent 50-60 point guy? Is he more than that? Especially with the pace that he's operating at now, um, he's shooting right around twenty-four, twenty-five percent. And obviously, some of that high shooting percentage is because he's had a high number of uh, happens, right? <laughs> average so average are, shot distance of two feet. <laughs> exactly. But you're also going to run into a situation, I think, inevitably, where once teams have had an opportunity to to scout players. Um, it happens so often, right? And the second year, a, a player um, can sometimes sort of 
it maybe isn't as effective because they don't have as much time and space uh, to sort of operate. I mean, I, I remember talking to Brock Besser once who uh, sort of said that after his first year, he found that it was way harder to find the same time and space just because opponents and defenders now had a book on him. And he felt that he had a lot less open ice to operate with, and he felt like he had to um, adapt to that. So the the point I'm trying to make is Kuzmenko may not have, like, I don't think he's going to have as many tapping opportunities moving forward. And so when you're paying him on such a small sample, um, you have to be very sure about, okay, is this guy a 55, 60 point guy? Is he, because right now he's clipping at what, 70 points, you know, uh, maybe even a bit higher, um, which I think could be, could be inflated. And you don't want to run into a situation where you're, potentially uh, risking overpaying uh, a player like that, especially for talking about, um, uh, as some of the reporting has been out there, a bridge deal that could be six, seven million. That's, uh, that's a really, really significant investment. Harmon, what would Kuzmenko in your view, given his shallow track record, given his more offensive profile, uh, would do you think he'd return decent value like does the cap rule all in terms of um sort of cementing him as like a top target if he were to be made available which at this point we don't expect but if the Canucks were to go down that road how highly sought after do you think he'd be at the deadline yeah that's something that I've uh that I kind of grappled with because on the one hand I'm sure uh contenders still would have this mindset of okay um uh, we like could he last a a full NHL season plus a deep playoff run, especially because the schedules over in Europe aren't um, aren't nearly as uh, as long and as grueling, and especially with the travel. Um, so you may have situations where teams are, are maybe wondering if um, a guy like Kuzmenko could slow down o- over the course of uh, of a playoff run, and uh, even just through the second half of the regular season. So. Um, given that lack of track record, I'm sure that's a little bit of a question mark. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I think the key thing for Kuzmenko, too, is recently he's proven um, that he can produce pretty much anywhere in the lineup and in a variety of different roles. Um, he excelled first on the first unit power play, but then he's also shown that he can be productive from the flank on the second unit. Um, we've seen him shift up and down the lineup. So I think he's proven that he's... Um, a, a more versatile fit than you may have originally thought when he was first sort of breaking in uh, with the Canucks this season. So I think that's key, um, especially as uh, as a contender sort of thinks about, okay, how would he fit with our, our players here? Is he a player that we can, we can sort of use with multiple different centers, multiple different power play roles? Um, and then again, once you combine it with his dirt cheap cap hit, um, I think that uh, that would be really valuable because – for a lot of these bigger cap hit players that teams may be targeting, um, they may be in situations where they're going to have to ask um, the other team to either retain salary or, or pay a third-party broker to retain further salary, um, which obviously in those situations, it, uh, it makes the cost higher to acquire some of those higher cap hit players. So Kuzmenko has a lot of appeal there. And obviously like the, the production is there and he's shown that he can mesh with the lead talent. So I still think that he'd uh, be a pretty – um, valuable uh, commodity uh, ahead of the trade deadline. In conversation with the Athletics, Harmon Dial here, Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. One of the other interesting tidbits that we heard from Jim Rutherford on Monday was, you know, he alluded to the possibility of buyouts coming in the offseason to help the Canucks uh, clear some of that salary cap space they're desperately looking to do. 
is it the right time for buyouts? Would they make sense this summer, Harmon? And I guess, you know, the other thing is how much of that depends uh, whether or not they make sense on what the plan is to do with that cap space. Because having cap space is one thing, but what you do with it once you get it matters an awful lot as well. 100%. And I think for for me, when I look at um, buyouts in general, it's never really been a silver bullet for getting out of cap hell. Uh, are there situations where one buyout may make sense for uh, a contending team whose window to win is right now? Um, for sure. But when I look at the Canucks, um, the issue that I kind of see is it, you're always borrowing from the future in terms of having these um, dead cap uh, charges last on your books. And, and you're kind of kicking the can down the road. And I just don't think that the team is far um, along enough where you can justify, where you can say, let's create dead cap long into the future um, just so we have more flexibility to upgrade this roster for next season. Because honestly, um, I mean, what's the best case scenario where, where if, if they have a perfect offseason, what's this team doing? They're still only contending for a playoff spot. Maybe they'll make it, but it's not as if they're in a p- position where there are cup windows opening all of a sudden. And so when you look at a player like, let's say, Oliver ekman Larson. Yeah, there's going to be a point where a buyout probably makes sense down the road. But I don't think that, that ti- the timing for that window is this summer, where if you pull the trigger on, it na- oh, trigger on it this June, you'd be looking at a dead cap charge until 2031. Um, so I-, I kind of look at the buyout route, and, and I'm skeptical that that's going to be one of the um, – that that should be one of the uh, routes that they should look at to really carve out a lot of uh, flexibility. Does it concern you from a process standpoint that we're hearing so much about the club's interest in extending Kuzmenko? Like, is is that something that you read as, like, almost a bad sign? Sorry, I, I, I couldn't hear who you were saying. Uh, Kuzmenko. Yeah, I mean, for me, again, it just sort of... Clar- it sort of reemphasizes, like, I look at Kuzmenko and I'm, and I'm, and I'm thinking, especially... Like, look, if the Canucks were, again, in a different window and we see a vision that, like, okay, this team is in a win-now spot, um, then you could look at that and say, okay, like, you can at least justify why um, you're, you're looking at an extension. But for me, like, this, this should be a layup sort of um, uh, sell-high sort of proposition, given how much work is left. It's, it, it's, it, to me, it's another example of just, like, what it was with Miller last off season of um, you have a, a player that just doesn't fit with your window, right? Like he's going to be, Fusmenko isn't that young. He's going to be 27 pretty soon here. Um, and you're going to have to pay big bucks to, uh, to keep him. And, and again, given the lack of trade assets you have, if, if he could net you uh, say a late first round pick, I think that's, I think that would be awesome considering um, again, how far you are, away even if he adds value for the next two three years on a bridge deal um like what are you going to win in the next two three years right like that's that's again the 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 thought process i come back to now obviously management believes that they can get to a point where kuzmenko can be um you know again within two three years still contributing to a a canucks team that they believe will be really on the rise and, and back among the top teams again um, but again, I, I just think it goes back to uh, the point that I just don't have the confidence that they're actually going to be ex- uh, be able to execute that. And I think uh, I, the worry I have is Kuzmenko will become uh, an, another example of 
of a player who whose asset value they really didn't manage properly and, and capitalize on. Harmon, we have a text in that I'm going to ask you, and then I have one more question for you on, on the Kuzmenko front. But someone asked, um, if the Canucks were able to leverage Kuzmenko's lack of experience and get that deal done at four and a half, does that change your analysis of how the Canucks should approach this? I mean, yeah. Well, if it is something like four and a half versus like six, six and a half, um, of course it changes you know, the, the perception of value there. Um, and, and from management's perspective, you know, uh, all of a sudden that, that may make a lot, a lot more sense. But uh, again, I just go back to the idea that they shouldn't be trying to retool in, in, in this sort of way. Like the, this doesn't, I just, again, I don't see so the vision. Even at for, that level, even at a team friendly pie in the sky, four and a half, you'd have reluctance. You, you'd say that the club would be better off monetizing the asset and, and trying to maybe cash in that shit to be a, a winger or a defenseman. Yes. Again, or I just center don't, or defenseman, excuse me. Yeah. Like I, I think there are too many, like too many needs to, to prioritize a winger in that environment, especially because like, not only like it, it does two things for you. Not only are you able to then use that cap space for a center or a defenseman, but then you also get the first round pick and all of a sudden now you're in the market to actually, to actually trade um, if you really needed to, you can actually trade for a guy. You don't have to rely on the free agent market, um, which uh, which is which is huge, right? Uh, you look at some of the opportunities that came up in the pa- uh, in this past off season, right? Uh, a player like John Marino, the Canucks weren't able to really be players because they a didn't really have the assets for it, b they didn't have the cap space for it, um, and so they missed out on the opportunity to really bring in a top four, young top four right shot defenseman on a really reasonable contract um, with cost certainty. When those opportunities come up in the summer, you don't want to be in a spot where you look at uh, a potential, where you look at all the money tied up to your wingers and say, um, A, we don't really have the flexibility to make meaningful upgrades there. We can't really afford that sort of, uh, that that contract. And then B, like, B, be wondering, what are we going to trade when we already have a pretty weak prospect pipeline um, and we don't have many other meaningful trade chips. So um, I think this, I still think that their best uh, path at this point should be uh, to trade them ahead of the deadline. How would you explain to fans the concept that a good player on the wrong deal is still potentially the wrong move for an organization depending on where they're at? Because it's something I struggle with a lot. At the end of the day, fans want to see the fun players, the good players, play for this team. And yet, in the situation this team's in, it actually is self-defeating at times. How would you explain that dynamic? Um, you know, one of the frustrations I think we all have with the hard cap era uh, to to our listeners. Yeah, I mean, uh, the per- I mean, we've, we're living through a perfect example with JT Miller. Um, that was. That was a great example. A guy comes off a 99-point season, right? And it's so easy to convince yourself that, okay, at this point, he's playing center and um, he's providing elite offensive production and he's the quarterback on the first unit. And um, I'm sure you're thinking, like, how do we replace this guy? You're thinking this guy adds so much value. He means so much to this team. Um, like, you, you think, you're, think to yourself, we almost, like, have to take advantage of this opportunity. And yet you're already sort of seeing the consequences of that where um, 
the Miller, the Miller, the Miller trade is actually an example where if they had moved forward with sort of um, taking the best offer they could have in the off season and reallocating that eight million in cap space uh, elsewhere on other parts of the roster, um, I actually think that they could have been in a position to execute a retool. I don't think they would have had to have gone when Rutherford and Alvin first took over. I don't think that they needed to go scorched earth. I actually think that there still would have been a path for a retool, but it would have involved like the Miller Miller example being a great one of a, a player in that sort of spot and everybody saying he's the leader. And, and there's all this conversation in the market about um, at, at the time that he should be the priority over Bo. Uh, he's the real leader on and off the ice over Bo. Um, and yet in those moments, sometimes you have to make the hard, the non-emotional, difficult decision to understand that we're not in our contention window. And so uh, a player who, who's in his late late 20s off the back of a career year, um, which he's probably not going to repeat, we shouldn't make that investment. And we need to sort of make um, that, again, that non-emotional decision to to move on. Hey, Harmon, before we let you go, I just want to ask you about one other player who's not necessarily uh, front of mind right now because there's so much else going on, but he is a, a an RFA who will need a new contract, and that's Ethan Bear. And I, I like Ethan Bear as a player. I like a lot of what he's done since he's come over, but I, I do also find myself looking at him thinking maybe he's caught in this area where I'm not sure he's good enough to be a long-term fixture in your top four if you're a Stanley Cup contender and based on the dynamics of his contract he might be pretty expensive as a 5-6 option how, how difficult is that dilemma do you think that the Canucks are going to have with Ethan Bear and how do you see it playing out yeah so I, I really like the impact that he's uh that he's brought brought to the table and um I think that um I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind at all if they prioritize uh keeping him in the fold on 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 a short-term deal uh, maybe maybe somewhere around the two million dollar cap hit mark, um, right around there. I'm, I'm sure maybe it's a, maybe he'll end up coming a bit higher than that. But the reason I think that is, I absolutely agree. Where okay, I look at him and go, is he a bona fide top four defenseman on a really good playoff team? We don't know yet. But the Canucks aren't in a position where they're going to be able to f- to totally fix the right side of of the blue line and um, and, and 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 that they're all of a sudden going to be able to bring in a, a couple of uh, studs for for my money, I think that you know moving forward he is um, this club's best right-handed defenseman. And so even if you are able to, let's say in let's say in a in an optimal offseason, the club is able to um, find a way to make it work to bring uh, a, another legit top four right-handed D in, in, into the equation. I still wouldn't mind Ethan Bear being that sort of le- being your second um, top four defender on the right side, even if it's on a temporary. Um, even if you lean on him in that role um, on a short-term, in-term kind of basis until, you, until you're able to make bigger uh, upgrades down the line. Um, so to me, I still think that he chews up valuable minutes. And the other, the other aspect of it is he, he's also, I think, worked really well with Oliver ekman Larson, mm. um, which I think is important because if, if, when you look at OEL – you're stuck with that deal. You're going to have to find a way to maximize his value. And when you look at the honest results of when those guys, of when OELs played with Bear, they've controlled. They've been right around break even in, in terms of possession, shots, uh, scoring chances, expected goals. They've actually been a pretty decent pairing. Um, and if you look at OEL's numbers away from Bear, it's it's a pretty catastrophic decline. And the reason for that is because Bear's biggest asset is his ability, uh, is his agility. 
and how quickly he's able to retrieve dump-ins and start exits, which works really well for OEL because that's his biggest weakness right now is um, OEL doesn't pivot very quickly and win those races for loose pucks to start defensive zone exits. So I look at Bear and I think he's even valuable in the sense of being able to maximize what you get out of OEL. So um, I still think that he should be part of uh, the Canucks' future. How careful, though, are, do you have to be with a player who might be a really good fit with OEL, but that might be your third pair if you get good, right? Like, realistically, that might be that might have to be your third pair if you get good, um, considering he's got a $2.5 million QL. Yeah, you do, you do have to be careful. But, again, I, I sort of view it as if you're signing bearer, um, it's – you know, I, I wouldn't be doing it for two. I wouldn't be doing it for more than two years, right? So you're looking at a a window where, again, like I said, you're not going to be able to bring in a ton of. Uh, this isn't summer, I don't think anyway, where you're going to be able to bring in a ton of talents, and all of a sudden you're going to look at Ethan Bear and be like, he's our number six, and um, in that world we can't pay him two, two and a half. Right. Um. So so I I, I still think in the short term. Um, I don't think you're going to be able to do better, a lot better than him is, is the point I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying, trying to make. And so from that perspective, if he is still going to play a, a bigger role um, in the short term, I, I, I think that's worth the investment. Harm, always really appreciate the time, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. That is Harmon Dial from The Athletic weighing in uh, on Ethan Bear there at the end and lots of other Canucks topics. We'll take a quick break. Final segment coming up. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux, uh, talk about Bo Horvat, potential destinations a little bit as well. It's Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the day here on a Canucks game day. They will take on the Tampa Bay Lightning at Rogers Arena. We are live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We are talking off the top of the show. It's the first Canucks game day. Uh, since the Jim Rutherford press conference, also, of course, the first Canucks game since uh, the passing of Geno Ojic on the weekend. So there's a lot going on uh, at tonight's game, a lot for the players and the coach to talk about. We heard from Bo Horvat and Luke Shen earlier in the show. Let's hear from Bruce Boudreaux as well, the Canucks head coach, after the team's morning skate today. Well, I mean, recollections are as, uh, as a player, you didn't want to – you wanted to let him sleep a little bit here. You didn't want to – uh, wake him up because he was he was a pretty physical force and he was an energetic and character guy and everybody knew that and uh, when you played the Vancouver Canucks and Gino was in the lineup you had to be aware of where he was all the time. What allows a guy like that 30 years later to still have that kind of an impact on a community? Well I think <clears throat> not knowing him but I think personally he was probably great in the community. He was a fan favorite for sure. I mean uh, and I, I'm thinking he's fairly local. Um, so, I mean, all of those things. And when you become a, a not only a fan favorite, but you're out in the community and you're, you're living there and you're being part of the, part of the community, I think it's, it's not hard to become a fan favorite anywhere. And, and his uh, legacy is going to last forever in, well, in Vancouver. There's been a lot of talk about your situation and how it's played out publicly, what the future's going to look like. We talked to the players in there, and they say, look, Bruce comes in here and he's always smiling. 
How have you managed to? I'm not smiling when we lose, you know, but I mean, my job is to come out here and do the best job I can do every day. And I firmly believe that every day is a new day. And uh, you look at each game and uh, just love being part of it. And uh, so it's like, I mean, we're blessed to be in this situation, all of us, the players, coaches and everything. So it's it's hard not to, uh, you know, if you can... Get you know, don't listen to anything and just be true to yourself. I think it's easy to do. You seem like it seems like you haven't lost the room. And generally, someone in your situation would be easy to lose the room. Do you feel like you still get the buy-in from the players? Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I I really do. And um, and I'm not just saying that for me. I mean, you can ask the players. Just look at the last five games uh, uh, we've played. There's no quit in this team, and that's uh, that's a great character trait. And so I I think we continue to work our our butt off all the time and hopefully get the best results we can. You've had some really good captains over the years, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bo spoke this morning about how uh, the relationship with you has made him a better player, that he's more confident. Uh, what does that mean to you when you hear it from your captain? Uh, all these things that people are, you know, that the players are saying make me feel great. I mean, it's humbling. And uh, um, I just, you know, I was a captain my whole life, so I think I know how the situation goes. So I may even. I'm easy, easily able to talk to him on that level. Same with Getzlaff, same with Oveshkin, uh, same with Miko Koivu. I mean, all of those things. Same with Jared Spurgeon. Um, and and maybe help them a little bit <clears throat> on what captain's duties are and all of that stuff. But, I mean, you talk to them on a personal level, and, it's a, and, and it usually works out. Bruce, you've always handled yourself with class. You continue to work hard day in and day out. Uh, you know what? I'm not. I just go ahead. People do what they do and, and say what they say. And you know, I mean, it's. Uh, I'm not perfect, but I, I just. I just think about coming to work every day and working hard. And you know, anything else is is I. I can't. Uh, um, can't really. Don't really want to comment on anything else. So. Do you feel like you've been treated fairly? Well, every day. I, I'm. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. Like, I mean, I mean, I don't think anybody in the world likes to hear negative stuff uh, about themselves. But I mean, if it's, you know, we talk about it and the reasoning behind it, and it goes with goes with the territory. I mean, I, I'm a big boy. I wanted to become an NHL coach, and I know it's not all going to be rainbows and roses. So I mean, you have to take the good with the bad. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau answering questions from the media, uh, beginning with some comments about his memories of Gino Ojic, and then towards the end they're obviously getting to the meat of the issue between Bruce <laughs> and Boudreau and he didn't and even need a spittoon afterwards to spit out the blood from biting his tongue. Yeah, took the high road, as we talked about yesterday. Again, the right call. Right there. It was right there. Politically savvy. It's the right play. Yeah, no, it wasn't just right there. We were digging for it. Yeah. Asked repeatedly, right? Given repeated opportunities Are to do it. Are you being treated fairly? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Love it. Ah, uh, there you go. It that was the is right Bruce Boudreaux. No, it's salt of the earth. Great guy. Handled it with grace. Good for him. And you, you I mean, you, we heard Bo Horvat talk about how much they all like. Like Bo Horvat specifically referenced what a good person Bruce Boudreau is, right? And right. why the players are still working for him. And Luke Shen invoked the resume. You don't coach for this long you don't have this much success if you can't coach 
come on. We all know this. Uh, we all know this, right? Like, is I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you, and I don't think this is going to be a surprise to anybody. But as a coach, Boudreaux's not my cup of tea. Mm. In that, in that, he's not ludicrously disciplined. He's in a terms vi- of he's a vibes guy. He's a vibes coach. Yeah, I like details, and fair enough. Like you know, I used to be able to pour over matchup data, like what's the coach thinking. I could detect from the decision making, like exactly what their game plan was. Bruce Boudreaux knows, you know, I, I always, I used to use the Hedgehog Fox thing, right? Bruce Boudreaux, there's some people who know, um, like, lots of little things, details coach, and there's some coaches who know one thing, one big thing well. And Bruce Boudreaux's a hedgehog. He knows one thing, and that's the power of pressure to create a, a better defensive environment. Now, obviously that's fallen apart. I think... <laughs> I don't think this team's structurally sound. I want to be clear about this. <laughs> but I also think the obvious issue is personnel. I don't think you can watch this team. Like, I don't think Rick Tockett or whomever. Heck, I don't think prime Jacques Lemaire. I don't think 35-year-old Jacques Lemaire can walk through that door and make this team a, a club that wins, like, a lot of 2-1 games. A 100-point team with a ton of 2-1 wins under their belt. Come on. Come on, we all know better than that. We're all watching the same games. Aren't we? Jacques Lemaire, assistant coach, Ken Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah, Larry all... Larry Robinson. <laughs> yeah, get all the structure guys on the staff together. Yeah, yeah see what we could do. Yeah, I mean, that's... Pete yeah, the, DeBoer, structure, the structure. Yeah. Pete DeBoer is the video coach. Because that's, I mean, we've... <laughs> we've built such a star-studded lineup that Pete DeBoer is the video coach. <laughs> and still, I think this team is bottom 10 in the NHL in goals against. Truly, um, I, I truly believe that. Yeah, look, and and I, this brings us back to Kuzmenko, and I'm, I'm not just bringing everything back to it because it feels like the front-burner urgent issue. Like, the, press, the next press release that I'm going to get from the Canucks where I'm like, oh, they did it again, is going to be a Kuzmenko extension. I know this already, right? And, you know, like, we, we we actually haven't beaten the Canucks are poorly constructed point to, to the way we did last season this year. Like, to, to be totally honest, there have been so many other problems. We haven't even be, been able to talk about this. But the personnel issue is so significant that this club traded for Ethan Bear, a guy who, you know, he's exceptional at puck retrievals. But... There's like a level of authority you need to play with if you're going to play in matchup minutes. You need to really welcome that level of competition, that challenge every night. You need to manage the puck with like a, a high level of simplicity and competence. And, you know, I, I do think that those are areas for growth in his game. I think he's got the skills set to do it. I, I agree with Harmon that this team should retain him. I like him as a player. I like him as a guy. But, you know, if he's your second best defenseman, if he's your best right-handed defenseman, you've got some problems, right? The The defense can't move the puck or defend in zone. And in terms of centermen, like, we've spent most of this year with Sheldon Dries as this team's, like, we're at the point where Sheldon Dries has played more than half the season as this team's third-line center. And their top two centermen, Pedersen and Bo Horvat. We had someone in the mentions, by the way, or in the in the mentions, in the 
text message inbox suggests that Pedersen's been selkie caliber. It's like, no, come on. Like, uh, he's a really good, assertive two-way player, but his defensive impact's not been at the level this season that it actually has been in past years, probably because he's playing more matchup, probably because he's playing more top of the lineup, which is totally fine. You expect a player to take some time to learn that side. But Bo Horvat or Pedersen, neither of them, neither of their calling card is defensive play. Teams still, like, how are you this bad on the PK for another another time, like another season? It's it's honestly hard to fathom being historically bad twice in a row. Yeah, it's not good. Everyone plays the <laughs> PK not, the same it's way. Very not good. Like that's that's the thing. There's not a lot of differences in how teams play the PK. Like you can you can tweak a few things. We saw it. We saw it. We saw it, saw it as a laboratory experiment last year, right? The team started with Nolan Baumgartner. That was a super passive in zone approach. Not a ton of forechecking. Then we saw Scott Walker still keep the passive approach in zone, but but create a down, mm-hmm. a, a down ice pressure system that worked for a bit until teams sort of got it on tape and then figured it out. And then you saw Brad Shaw begin to sort of real, really make some progress, um, you know, w- with a variety of, of different tweaks, including making Pedersen a key part of it. But but that that right there, like, wh- what, what was the Canucks' biggest area of improvement on the PK last year? They started using Pedersen. Personnel, right? This team doesn't have matchup centermen. They don't have puck-moving defensemen. They don't have high IQ two-way puck movers. And so what's left? Like, what's left is that you're a curtain. You know, you're providing the resistance of a curtain. And slip through it pretty easily. You know, Um, I I mean, the door is ajar at all times in the Canucks' end of the rink. And so... You know, I just don't see. I, I'm not saying that Boudreaux's the guy to fix it, but I don't. I don't see him as the root problem either. Especially given his track record of coaching teams that, sure, people associate him with the run of gun, run and gun Washington Capitals. But like his Minnesota Wild teams were stout. Yeah, genuinely stout. Same with the Ducks. Like this is a guy who's, who's tended to get really good defensive results by play, playing a high pressure game. He doesn't have the horses. Travis Green didn't have the horses. Rick Tockett, if he's the next guy in, not going to have the horses. Uh, Brandon in Vancouver texts in, I'm not watching the same games. I'm reliving highlights from 2009 to 2011. That's Brandon good, good. Uh, in that's Vancouver. A, that's a good place to live. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the Bo Horvat reporting, which seems like it's a daily thing now from people in the market, people nationally about potential destinations, teams that could be interested, uh, what the ask from the Canucks has been. Uh, I think the one getting the most traction today is from uh, your uh, – I-, I called him a collaborator last time. You didn't like that. So I guess I'll say colleague at The Athletic. Yeah, the collaborator. <laughs> Rick Dollywall, <laughs> who reported that my, my your collaborator at the Athletic, Nick Patan, <laughs> yes, uh, reported that uh, uh, Seattle. Sorry, I got the first name wrong there. Nick Patan's a former player. Yeah, that former player. Who former are you talking Kana- about? Uh, Patan, Marshall Patan. Oh, okay, sure. It was a it was a very dad joke. Yes, yeah. uh, Dollywall reporting that Seattle has been quote uh, consistent in pursuit of Bo. Horvat, and you know that echoes. We we've heard Seattle's name come up a few times here. I know Elliot Friedman has mentioned it as well as somebody, a team that's going to be interested. You can certainly see the fit from Seattle's perspective. I have a really hard time now. I don't buy into the you can't trade the player inside the division, right? Like I think you got to be concerned with what you're getting back. You got to be concerned with getting the return that works for you, the best return. If that's in the division, so be it. So be it. You can't be so scared that you're not willing to trade in your own division. Having said that, I have a very hard time seeing 
the Canucks sending their captain, who's on this sort of goal-scoring tear, to their closest geographical team, the new expansion team, just south of the border. Not saying it won't happen. And look, if Shane Wright's on the table, then yeah, I guess all bets are off. I don't know. I'm going to let you in on a secret. He's not on the table? Shane Wright's not on the table. I wouldn't think so either. Shane Wright is in the perfect spot where he's not going to have to be the guy offensively behind Matty Beneers. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's the perfect spot for a guy who I think's become underrated. Much like guys like Couturier and Chikorin are sort of the two guys I think of where their draft stock plummeted because people were like, well, they're not super dynamic offensive pieces. And it's like... Yeah, they're just really, really good at hockey. They're going to help you control games and win games. He's going to be a good NHL player who plays center and is big. <laughs> yeah. Sounds terrible. How, how, <laughs> anyway. Um, look, if, if, I mean, I think Paul Horvat would be a great fit for the Kraken, except for, you know, the one issue is he's not a goalie. Yes, that's that's very true. <laughs> like I he does, he does fit into the just like get guys who just can't miss this season. You know what I mean? Get guys who are just shooting over twenty percent. Yeah, him and Jared McCann, just, just like everything so much, they shoot just goes a in. Wash of finishing talent. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the Kraken have a lot of prospects. Like the, I, I mean, look at the trades that the teams made with Vegas, right? I know Brandstrom didn't really pan out, but Suzuki certainly did, mm-hmm. right? I mean. Trading with the new expansion team is always good business because they have a wash of picks from the process, even though Vegas mismanaged that – or, sorry, Seattle, Seattle mismanaged did. that process. But Seattle mismanaged the process, but then they did well last year to recoup a little bit of what totally. they had mismanaged. I, I just think they could have done even better if they – you know, people said, like, well, GMs weren't willing to make the same mistakes, but a year later, teams were desperate to offload contracts. You know what I mean? Like – you could have just waited them out, you know, like truly, I, I sort of thought if you, what's your biggest advantage in the flat cap era when you suddenly have 81.5 million in unspoken for cap space. Yeah. It's not even the expansion process. It's the space. And they built a process on unrestricted free agency and it panned out terribly for them. I mean, that's a fundamental error that isn't washed away by the fact that they've, you know, built something pretty fun. This year, and, and kudos to them. I, I mean, Burakovsky's been a great fit for them, and, and obviously Bjorkstrand, and they brought in a ton of speed, uh, a ton of shoot first. But you're right, you know, Tolvanen, Sprong, right? Like, they really have been going after shooting Shooters, talent. Shooting, yeah. And, 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 and Horvat in the middle of that power play, would be lethal. I, Horvat's going to be lethal in the middle of whatever power play he goes to. This is a, such an undertold thing about Horvat, like... He opens up so much for Miller and Pedersen. And and I know Pedersen hasn't been scoring, but Pedersen, as the primary playmaker, like a lot of Kuzmenko's power play goals, and actually some of Horvat's too, have come from Pedersen as playmaker um, from that right side half wall. JT Miller's that downhill shot has, you know, been been a weapon for this team all season. So much of that is because teams increasingly can't front the flanks the way they, they usually would like to. They, they kind of have to eye up. And, and cheat in the middle. Horvat's one of the best bumper guys in the league, period, period. And uh, the, Jay Fid texted in, uh, at, kind of flipping the question around a little bit, says, uh, he says, we can speculate all month about bow de- destinations and pieces coming back, but for, in your guys' opinion, which is the one team that should pony up uh, for Bo's ask from the Canucks? In other words, like, where what would be the best fit for Bo? Wh- which team would we help the most? And, I mean, 
it's kind of a trite answer, but there's a reason we constantly hear Colorado in connection. Yeah. Like, they desperately need a second-line center and a guy who can play the bumper on the power play, and he would fit in so perfectly. I, I think the question is, and this is, you know, Boston gets mentioned as well. Like, what's the piece, the enticing piece that they're sending back to convince the Canucks to do it? In that, Colorado's that's In case? Colorado, yeah. Newhook would be the obvious answer. Does Newhook did, – did the description Rutherford gave sound like Newhook to me? It didn't really to me. Like, Newhook's more of a project, I, I would say, than it sounded like what yeah. Rutherford is looking for. I guess that's the answer. I mean – I don't know. I mean, so in terms of – I still think Horvat playing – as like a, a mucker slash finisher, right? Like you don't don't even carry the puck, bud. Don't even worry about it. Find open space. Find open space and win puck battles. Um, you know, bring your pooper scooper. Uh, that would be the role if he's playing with Zuccarello and, and Kaprizov, and I think that's hard to beat in terms of a, a, a situation where Horvat's um, skill set would really shine through. And, and here's my other one. And am I doing this to troll? <laughs> You'll never know. You'll never know. What's one of Horvat's best skills? Other than his shooting? Just like, what, what, what's one area that Horvat brings a ton of value to a team? Face-offs? It's off-ice. Yeah, it's okay. his ability to handle things, tune out a, a tough market, uh, say the right thing. Um, he's cool under pressure. He's calm. We've seen him be clutch whenever this team's played a big game. What's a big market where, where a team's under an always suffocating amount of pressure that could use a clutch player who's, who's not going to be shy, who's going to have the stomach for the fight in a big moment? Toronto? The Toronto Maple Leafs. I, I'm just saying, like, they could go and roll Matthews, Tavares, Horvat, Kampf down the middle, right? Um, you, you, they could put Horvat with any number of, of sort of interesting, like a, a guy like Yarncroc, build like a north-south, third line around him they've occasionally had um guys like Matthews in the bumper which doesn't make a ton of sense like Horvat could easily you go you go Tavares down low Horvat in the bumper Marner and Matthews on their off wings with Morgan Riley sounds pretty lethal Mm -hmm. and uh and he wouldn't be shy in the big moment like you know you know that come game seven we've seen a lot of games where the Leafs didn't look like they had that fire in their belly we know one guy who would we know one guy who would. If you've got a mental block related to the big moment, he's the guy for you. It makes sense. Kerfoot, does Kerfoot match the description? Not really, I don't think. 26, fast, centerman. He's like what, like two years younger than Bo Horvat? Don't you need to, I don't know, don't you need to move the needle like in an age sense a little bit more than that? Well, I think so. <laughs> But if you want to make the playoffs next year, Kerfoot might be the, one of the better pieces you could possibly land. When you look at... Do I think they should be trying to shoot for a target like that? No, but I'm saying, like, you know, the the Maple Leafs have a pretty interesting right-handed defenseman prospect in uh, Toppy Nimala. Toppy Nimala, yeah. First, Nimala, Kerfoot. See, the first Nimala I like a lot. You know what I mean? And then I guess if Kerfoot's kind of the last piece of it, then I have less of a problem with it. Like a first Anemola, to me, that's like a building. That's a legit building block of a package for Bo Horvat. Right, and you're well, getting you're you getting draft to, capital. You're getting you need to help the cap work from, from sure that perspective. Anyway. Sure, but okay, but that's different than like the return being Kerfoot. You no, know what I mean? But I mean that would be a positive part of the return. 
I don't look. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I would be surprised. Toronto, uh, other than Nick Foligno, hasn't bought a rental uh, under Dubis. Typically, they typically try and uh, and get guys with term. But if you're gonna go all in, and you th- see Horvat as a unique piece, and you want to fatten up your lines, or, or or even, you know, one of their issues has often been finding a sixth forward, a guy who can help. Tavares drive play now Tavares bounced back in this respect it's not as urgent for them this year as it, as it felt like it was last year and we talked about it at the time but I mean you you can move Tavares to the wing you can move Horvat to the wing you could play him with Nylander and Tavares or Marner he's old London Knights teammates they're close friends there you go not an I, I look you you're asking me for for the fit that I think yep. makes the most no, sense. it's an interesting one uh, the, that's one that stands out to me. The rental thing you mentioned is interesting. And somebody else, Brandon Vancouver, asked, why isn't Carolina in the mix for Horvat? There's been reporting that they've asked. They will be. The rental thing is a huge issue for them as well, though. Like, famously averse to rentals. Famously averse to rentals, but famously not averse to walking away from players. I also wonder about, um, you know, no inside no inside knowledge here, but I wonder about the Jordan Stahl effect from a Carolina Hurricanes perspective, right? Jordan Stahl's on an expiring contract for them. And, you know, he's still a nice player and a big part of that team, but he's certainly not going to cost them $6 million again. Right. Max Pacioretty is also expiring, right? Um, could that be a team that views Horvat as sort of like a, like a, a Stahl replacement, right? You, you go to Jordan Stahl and you effectively say, hey, let's do one-year deals for the next little bit. Horvat sort of comes in there as your like face-off winning veteran, tough minutes center, because you know as much as they like uh, Neckash, I don't think they view Neckash in that in that manner. So um, you know that's a team that I wouldn't necessarily view as having to be in on Horvat solely because he'd be a rental option. And, and by the way, Yasperi Kakaniemi, in terms of the description that the Canucks have given in terms of what they're looking for, that's a guy that stands out in a major way for me. Uh, long story short, should be a lot of teams interested. Game day tonight against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll be back tomorrow. You've got it on Sportsnet 650.